So where are you? You're in New York. No, I'm in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, uh, I don't know if you know where that is, but it's in the southeastern United States. Asheville, it's kind of like a a Boulder, Santa Fe alternative community uh, place. Uh, And, you know, there's a lot of spiritual centers, yoga, there's a great music scene. Um, there's a bit of an art scene and yeah, so, and it's beautiful mountainous. It's the oldest mountains in the world, I think. Oh, wow. Uh, they're called the blue, the blue Ridge mountains. And, uh, so it's, it's gorgeous here. It's mm. totally gorgeous. I, I lived in LA for almost 20 years. Okay. And I couldn't hack the traffic anymore. I had a record company, <laughs> which I sold and I said goodbye. And I also followed a woman here and married her. So that was uh, a big part of it. So, that old chestnut. Yes. Yeah. Um, I have been to South Carolina. I've been to Charleston oh, yeah. about 10 mm. years ago. Nice, huh? Mm. I haven't been. I'm actually from Montreal. Right. Yeah, so I don't know anything about the South. I've never been here before except for being in Asheville. <laughs> I have <laughs> been to Montreal as well uh, about well, 10 years ago, same trip. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's a beautiful place. Where? So where are you in Australia? Uh, I'm in Melbourne. Melbourne. Oh. Yeah, right down the bottom. All right, let's do it, friends. Welcome to episode 21 of Coming Up Next. This week's guest, I am pretty damn excited to share with you. This one is a pretty special one. It's not going to be for everyone, but if you like the uh, the more spiritual section of these podcasts, if you're really into the uh, the parts where we talk about life and love and the meaning and God and all of these um, really philosophical things... This is an episode for you because it's basically a full hour long version of that. Got a guy named Raghu Marcus who is from the Love Serve Remember Foundation, which is run by a guy named Ramdas, who you've heard me talking about a few times over the course of these episodes. And we'll go into a little bit of detail about who he is and, um, and what his teachings are uh, with Raghu Marcus. Like, review, comment, share. Coming up next, friends, on your social medias. You can find us at Podcast or facebook.com slash Podcast. And if you love what we're doing, jump on over on iTunes or Stitcher. Give us a rating, a review, and the feedback. The rating, the review, and the feedback. And for now, please enjoy this really uh, beautiful and uh, humbling interview. And this is my first attempts at doing a, um, a ramble over Skype. I got up uh, at about five o'clock in the morning uh, one Saturday um, when got myself a nice little coffee, uh, put together my setup and uh, we jumped on the call. I think it was 6 a.m. or maybe it was 7 a.m. Um, Australian time and it was 4 p.m. Uh, Eastern time in the States. I think it's turned out pretty well. So please sit back unless you're driving, in which case maintain your current seated position, relax, and enjoy my interview with Raghu Marcus from Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation. Yeah, so I heard that you had, um, you had Pete Holmes on your podcast like six months ago, and I've been listening to his podcast um, for about six or eight months. 
and that was what kind of inspired this um, this podcast. And so it's kind of evolved into this thing where I talk to uh, quite well-known people in, a, in the Australian entertainment industry about why they do what they do, what their kind of origin story is. Um, mm. And then we kind of diverge off and kind of circle the rabbit hole before jumping into the more spiritual or faith-based kind of philosophy, their philosophies on life and uh. what they think the meaning of life is and all this sort of stuff. And then we kind of come out at um, what makes them silly and why they're ridiculous people or why life is kind of ridiculous for them. Um, so that's kind of the uh, the Twitter version of the podcast. <laughs> Oh, it's more than 140, though. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And um, Rum Dust was someone that I found towards the start of the year through Pete Holmes. Um, uh, so I guess I wanted to talk to you and find out a little bit about who you are and um, what's brought you to being a part of um, the Love Serve Remember Foundation. I came through it. I was actually a, a program director of a major rock and roll station in Montreal talking, you know, 1969-70 in the hippie days, right? And, uh, I mean, I had been introduced to Eastern spirituality just through the usual, the Beatles, Maharishi, that kind of a thing, or Mayor Baba, who was popular then, Pete Townsend's guru. Uh, and But it was just cursory of the Hare Krishna people from the airport, you know, it used to be from the airport. They had good food. We used to go over there on Sundays and stuff. But uh, I was a program director of this really, you know, high wattage uh, radio station in Montreal, and uh, I got a call one day from uh, somebody saying, "Hey, would you mind announcing a lecture of this uh, of Ramdas?" And I went, "Ramdas? What's that?" And they said, "Oh, you know, Tim Leary and Richard Alpert." I go, "Oh." You know, because we were all into acid in the day, right? Mm. I said, oh, I love them, of course. What? Why don't you send me over a talk, a previous talk you must have on tape, and let me hear it first so I know what you're talking about. So he did, and I went into the studio, and I played this tape, and it was one of those cathartic moments of, oh, shit, right. <laughs> this, this is what I've been waiting to hear for a long time, explains so much about what reality is. So I immediately put it on the air. It's nice to have power back in the day there mm. with this radio. Now it's all pre-programmed mush. Um, <laughs> but then it was Auto called freeform, yeah, pre, uh, freeform radio. It was great. So the, resp the switchboard lit up. The response was extraordinary because people never heard anybody talking like this before. Mm. And uh, I immediately went and then... Uh, got a hold of him, I think that day, if not that day, the next morning, and brought him to the radio station and interviewed him. And from then on, gathering, I, I of course, went to the lecture, and um, I would say, you know, at that point, my life took a huge turn for the better. Mm. And I, uh, I started playing his tapes on the air in between Van Morrison and Zeppelin and the Dead and Dylan and Stones and, you know, all of it. And people, a lot of people gravitated. Actually, in the end, many people, many people, a bunch of people went to India based on the fact that they heard about this on the air. Wow. And uh, I, so for the next year, I just 
with, uh, he had events uh, in New Hampshire where he lived at his father's farm, which are famous things were actually filmed uh, back in the day. And, uh, and a bunch of us, he wouldn't say where he was in India. He wouldn't say who he met. He just said the guru. Mm. And we were all like, okay. Uh, and, he, and he said, and he doesn't want to see anybody. And you can't go there. And I guess there was a few of us that went, okay, wait a minute. You got to give us a hint here. Come on. You can't just do this. <laughs> and the others of us, of course, were like, okay, uh, we won't go. You know. And as a result, some people got there and some people didn't. Well, I pestered him. I was one of the ones who pestered him. And he, uh, I did get to India. And eventually I, um, I did get to his guru, who became mine. His name is Neem Karoli Baba. And we used to call him Maharaji, and he is the man in the blanket that you see in the picture of Be Here Now, Ram Dass's famous book. Mm. Um, and um, honestly, Alistair, from that moment on, when I said my life did a complete 360 when I met Ram Dass, well, it did. I went to another, another level, if you could say, by the fact of, of meeting this being that absolutely had no discernible um, relationship with any other human that I had ever met and the experience that I had was so um, unfathomable and so deep and boundless uh, that uh, it really totally informed my life to the day until this day as in this moment that we're speaking right now mm. can you kind of explain a little bit more or talk a little bit more on this idea of um could you explain to me what you mean um, about Maharaji not having any attachments, but being able to give you this incredible uh, depth of relationship? Yeah, it's hard in words to really explain it because, you, you know, you're using words that are so uh, colloquial in our English language. Maybe you Australians have better ways to talk about <laughs> it, but we don't here in America. We just abbreviate uh, the words more. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so it's, it's difficult. Um, I mean, when I first encountered him, I was shocked because I had never met her. It was like, you know, when you meet somebody, you look in their eyes and there's, you know, there's an exchange, somebody's in there, mm. you know, that somebody may be judging shit in you or maybe being nice to you or something is going on. You know, could be negative, could be positive, mm. could be wonderful. Could meet a woman, you know, a, a man meeting a woman, a woman meeting a woman, man, man, whatever it is. And there's a something that you're engaging with. Well, imagine meeting something, somebody that there's nothing to engage with. Okay. It's a one way street. What's happening in that being is happening as if you were like, okay, uh, you go to a pool of water and you just sort of immerse yourself in this beautiful, uh, you know, going to the, to the ocean and it's this warm water and you're, you're just sort of floating in, in the wave. It was more like entering something like that than it was having any kind of exchange. And in fact, there, there really couldn't be, there wasn't an, a, a rational exchange. He would ask questions and he would say things out of the blue that blew your mind like, you know, he just absolutely knew everything about you. I mean, the famous story is, of course, Ramdas. People out there, if you want to check it out and be here now, um, 
it's when he went he was a call uh, you know a harvard professor he was a scientist he was a psychologist mm. he went so he went to india he he was more interested in buddhism than he was in hinduism you know he was interested he was he called himself an intellectual yogi mm. you know and searching through the mind right mm. which uh, you know that's that's a lot of what's going on today it's very popular non-dual thinking and all that so he went uh, two nights before he he actually saw maharaji uh, he went outside to take a pee and he started thinking about his mother who six months before had died of spleen cancer. Okay. So two days later, he's there with Maharaji and who says to, who makes him really paranoid by, he came in this beautiful Volkswagen bus and he said, Oh, that's a nice bus. Will you give it to me? And Ram Dass is like, give it to you. It's not mine to give you. I'm, you know, he's thinking to himself, how can, how can he be so presumptuous, you know? And mm. so he was just yanking his chain. And then he says to him, um, you were out under the stars the other night? He says, yeah. You were thinking about your mother? Yeah. Uh, and then he said in English, or he said, it's just through a translator. So she was very sick. Yeah. And and then in English he went spleen. He used the English word spleen. He supposedly didn't speak English, hmm. and died of of spleen. And of course he had died of spleen cancer. Well, when he said that, Ramdas, I mean he had every paranoid CIA thing going his off in his head. Like how the hell does he know this shit? Hmm. And you know conspiracy. He got really and he just sort of crumpled. Because it was just too, he could not process the information that was coming from him from this being, and then the next thought he had was, he thought of all the bullshit that was in his head, all the dark shadows that we all carry in our heads mm. that we don't want anybody else to know about, right? And he thought, holy Christ, if he knows that, then he knows all this bullshit too, <laughs> and it was embarrassing. So he he had that thought, and he looked up and. And all he got was the shining love, unconditional love. Mm. In other words, there's nothing that you can think or do, whatever, that would take away from this love, which is beyond personality, beyond physical, beyond mental. And then that was a cathartic moment for Ramdas. And he ended up in a puddle and they took him away. <laughs> and he lived in India for six months. And under training, he was assigned a yogi who trained him in yogic arts. And then he came back to America, and the rest is history. In fact, I don't want to get too commercial here, but we have a book coming out. When Ramdas came back, and he gave all those talks, and people like me heard them, mm. and, we, and we ended up in India. There was maybe 200 of us, which is really not that many, who ended up. We got stories from about 80 of them, and there's a book that's coming out uh, on November 10th called Love Everyone. It'll be on Amazon. You can download it as a Kindle or a, in, in the Apple bookstore. Um, and it's all of our experiences after meeting Ramdas. And, and just these stories that I'm just telling you now are in this book of every individual's different kind of experiences, just like everybody else. Going there, we were cynical. We were kids. We were, you know, I mean, 18 to 25. I mean, Ramdas was like 10, 15 years older than most of us. Mm. Uh, and so you can get an idea, folks, out there uh, of what uh, what it was really like. Yeah, so so just to go back, 
So in one sense, this being was just, it was like somebody just doing the right thing for you to get free of your bullshit. Mm. And, and letting you know that there's no way that you are your mind, body, uh, senses. You are not that by virtue of these, you know, everyday miraculous uh, thing that he, he knew everything about us. He knew it was coming in the future. Mm. I mean, he, I had a whole experience where he told me I was going to meet a Tibetan Lama, which I did two days later, hmm. uh, had this incredible um, uh, experience with a, uh, his name is um, Kalu Rinpoche, one of the great Lamas of the last uh, century. Um, so once, so that between that and just, you know, somebody who was radiating this substance, which, you know, unconditional love. Okay. It's about the only word we can come up with, but mm. the reality is it's, um, it was a substance that stopped time and space in that moment. And so it was a very powerful, um, uh, magnetic force that uh that we experience and now many of these people have come back and 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 are really um offering something to society in general since those years i mean there's someone named danny goldman who wrote emotional intelligence which is a, an amazing incredible book that oprah put up on her uh, on her had him on her show which has sold millions of copies mm. a guy named dr larry brilliant who helped cure cure smallpox at maharaji's urgings in in the world and starting in india and all the way to uh we just had the indian prime minister modi in in america i was just in india actually a couple of weeks ago i just came back and he was with uh, you know zuckerberg from facebook mark mm. and and mark said to him you know i when i was going through a rough patch my mentor steve jobs told me to go to this little ashram in the foothills of the himalayas to get some peace and get connected. And I did that and it really helped me and it informed what I'm doing now. And that was uh, Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji's ashram where we all met him in the foothills of the Himalayas. In fact, right after that happened, camera crews, I was in the ashram where they all came up to interview the people there, <laughs> including, including myself, it was kind of weird. Um, so uh, Jobs was there just after Maharaji died. He was there in 74 just after late 73 74 mm -hmm. he missed him but from that day on he had his pictures and he died with his pictures at his bedside because larry uh, brilliant is it was a good friend of his um knew that and and be here now was a bit of a, it's a little dramatic to say bible but he had that book with him all that time it was very meaningful for him so there's a way in which maharaji has really um inculcated himself into the certainly into the Western culture and technology and, and, uh, and just, of course, you know, Ram Das being the best example. Krishna Das, who is a, a, a chant guy who's been to Australia a number of times, actually, um, is, is also um, somebody who's doing a lot of great work and as a result of his being in India. So, yeah, mm. he was on our label, Triloka Records, yeah, back in the day. Yeah, and that's how he got launched. I'd love to step back just for a second and talk about how Ramdas uh, did actually come to become Ramdas. Well, of course, it's it's well known that uh, he ended up at Harvard and he was a, a psychologist and uh, he had been at later he was at Stanford or not sure if it was before or later. So you know he was at the cream of university institutions in the United States. 
And uh, so the big moment uh, of transition for him was when Tim Leary joined the faculty, was next door to him. And Leary had gotten turned on to psychedelic mushrooms in Mexico. And he turned uh, Richard Alpert, Ramdas, onto them. And together they started experimenting and all of those psychedelic experiments, which, I mean, you know, for us, we were kids back then. Uh, that was a Bible to us, you know, the uh, psychedelic experience, that book. Mm. Um, and um, so... I mean, I remember Ramdas telling us later in India some of those. Exp I mean, these guys were nuts. I mean, <laughs> I took acid a bunch of times, but not like that. They one time they went into. They said, "Let's go in a room and take a huge pile of psychedelics, you know, from acid to uh, STP to you know MDA to DMT. They had it all. Mm. Let's just go in for a week and keep taking and see what happens." <laughs> Okay. Talk about, uh, you know, warriors, psychedelic warriors yeah. or something, you know? I yeah, mean, and they did. Psychedelic stamina. Yeah, really. I mean, courage, big yeah. time, you know? So they did experiments like that. I mean, Ramdas used to fly a plane. He was a pilot. Mm. He told me one time he was really high on acid flying a plane solo. Okay. <laughs> he still doesn't know. He landed it. Yeah. You know? So maybe he didn't. Yeah, so they just kept experimenting. Of course, then the famous story, they got kicked out of Harvard because people get, became uptight about how they were, you know, including students. And, you know, some, some of these experiments weren't exactly overseen in the way that the university wanted them to be. Anyhow, so they got kicked out. And, uh, and from that, and they, they, they then started a, a thing called uh, at Millbrook. They were given a big estate, and they continue their experimentations there. And then um, they kind of, at that point, diverged. Leary went off uh, and got in all kinds of trouble, actually, you know, and got arrested eventually, in the, uh, I think by 1970. Um, and uh, Ramdas, his story is that the psychedelics did not give him the map of consciousness that he had thought it would. Because you went up, and you came back down, and mm. you were the same schmuck that you were before you went up, right, as <laughs> yeah. he puts it. So, I mean, obviously, he understood a lot of stuff. I mean, he had, he was in touch with, uh, you know, incredible people, people who turned him on to the Tibetan Book of the Dead, um, which is, a, you know, a manual about how to die and how to go through the bardos, which is very similar to, to the dying in a strong acid trip. And um, uh, so he wanted to get that map so someone said well i think that's available let's go to india so off they went to india and as i said he was he was really going his his interest was in buddhism to to get at it through non-duality mm. no soul mm. and he went there for, firmly committed to that and and of course it's uh, he met a, a six foot four surfer in in Kathmandu who came along for the ride in the bus, and then the guy that owned the bus decided to go to Japan, and so it was just the two of them, and this guy was going to see his guru, who was named Karoli Baba. So Ram, uh, Richard Alpert went along for the ride. And uh, one famous uh, story uh, from Ram Dass is he, before they met 
Maharaji, they were in Banaras. Banaras is a city where people go to die in India. It's along the banks of the Ganges. I mean, it's an incredible place, scary place can be, because there's many, many people who go there to to die. And, and, and so there's a lot of people just dying literally in the streets. I mean, it's, it's you know, it, you are completely confronted by death in Banaras. So he went there and he was like, he'd be repelled by lepers and all kinds of people and all kinds of horrible manifestations of illness and so on. And, and he saw his vulnerability so strongly after he had met Maharaji and he had and gone back and they were pitying him. And I've had this experience where they look you in the in the eye and they're like, okay, this is just this incarnation, you know, because mm. they believe in reincarnation, right, and karma. Mm. And, you know, poor you, you are so stuck in fear, you know. <laughs> and after he went back, after he met Maharaji, um, it was a completely different experience, completely different experience. So uh, it was radical, this change that happened. So when he... And I told you the story of what happened just before uh, when he did meet him. And then he spent six months. And as I said, he was given a, a, a yogi who trained him in yoga, actual physical yoga, but not just physical, Raja yoga, you know, how to do mantra, how to meditate, all of that stuff. And he stayed there. Uh, and uh, he was also uh, given a family, a local family who are like my family now yeah. uh, in, in the town nearby who, who also introduced him what a real family is about, what real familial love is about. So he got this incredible training course. And then he came back to America. He was given the name Ramdas, which means servant of God, basically. And he came back, and, and because of his intellect, he had studied a lot of stuff from Buddhism to Hinduism to, you know, even like Meister Eckhart, you know, um, mystical Christianity. Mm. And he... As he 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 assembled all that in his brain in a way that was so um, fresh for people. So when he spoke, he would speak for hours, mm. and people would become transfixed by by this message. But the primary thing, and it's funny, I just um, I just talked to him literally last. I mean, you know, we speak a lot because of Love Serve Foundation that we we have together. Um, but he he just got. Uh, I'm digressing a little bit, but he just got ill two months ago. I mean, he really got, he was in the hospital mm. and he went through a bunch of suffering. I mean, he's had a lot of suffering, obviously. If you don't know folks out there, he had a stroke, you know, 18, 19 years ago. He's been living uh, partially paralyzed in a wheelchair since then, uh, which is not a fun thing. Um, and uh, And he, again, went through this whole thing in a hospital and so on. So he wrote a note to because people were asking, I said, you should write something up about what you've been going through because people want to know. They want to even know if you're still here. <laughs> so, so he did. And, and, and what I'm trying to say is what he did back then when he first came back from India that really opened people up to gravitating towards him as a teacher was his honesty. That was the key. Of course, you know, a, a very loving being. But the key was his honesty about his own failings, his own going through the kind of stuff that we all go through day to day dealing with life. Mm. And he did that in this in this letter again. Just, you know, I had to 
I had to bring in my witness to be able to witness how my consciousness was being grabbed by the pain and the suffering. I had to, I had to go into that part of my spiritual heart, soul, to be able to, to get enough perspective to be able to let go and to surrender. All of the things that everybody needs to do in these kinds of conditions. And this is what he was doing back then. And I remember it. And I remember, oh, my God, if, he, if, if this seemingly advanced being is going through this stuff, it's okay for me. Mm. I don't have to feel like I'm the worst person that ever lived because, uh, you know, I'm reacting to stuff. I'm angry. I'm jealous. I'm this. I'm that. You know, I'm nasty, whatever. I, I can actually uh, use his experience as, as, as a as a leverage to for my own um, transformation. Mm. And so that, that, that honesty has been the core of what has attracted uh, him to this rather large audience all these years. Mm. My first experience uh, with him was uh, Experiments in Truth, which is um, on YouTube. I, I uh, discovered that via a Pete Holmes tweet, actually. Uh, and I was really struck. It was almost immediate that I was in there and connected to this material that he was talking about and i went up you know there's the um the first chapter is on youtube i then went and got the whole book and i and i just recently listened to it again it's you know it's like seven hours or something of him just talking but you do become totally just transfixed in every word that he's saying feels so important and relevant um and there are a few things in there that you were um, saying that really uh, reminded me of that. And one in particular is this, the idea um, that your emotional life and your uh, this emotional kind of body is really just a kind of passing wave. And there was a beautiful quote that he says, which I think you might have even mentioned in one of your podcasts recently, which was um, about being the ever-present sky uh, and the clouds are only momentary. I probably completely butchered the quote just then, but I, I think that's close enough. Yeah, that, close you enough. know, there's well, yeah, we are our mind, our pure essence is that unobstructed sky, and and we we can in our uh, from our vantage point of our whatever you want to call the damn things, heart, spiritual heart, soul no mind, Buddha mind, whatever it is, it's, there's only one thing going on. We just have different names for it. Mm. But from that perspective, watching your incarnation as clouds, just passing through that primordial, pure uh, sky. Mm. And just hearing you say that makes me feel very relaxed. Yeah. Mm. Um. One of the things that I love about uh, Ramdas's teaching is, um, and I've only sort of come to this lately, is the mantra, I am loving awareness. Mm. And how simple but effective that just the concept of that is. Um, I've been studying Qigong lately, and one of the ideas in Qigong as well, which um, you probably know is, this idea that, you know, the spirit is born as unconditional love into this kind of body, this vessel. Um, and that's what I am loving awareness is just in a 
very truncated kind of phrasing. How did this kind of come up? You know, this is actually his most recent um, teaching, Ramdas, is the I Am Loving Awareness. Uh, it, it's been since he's been in Maui. And actually, it's, it's, I think he came up with this not that long ago, five years ago. Mm. Um, and uh, it really came through him as a result of just seeing how people can, how easily we all, and I'll say we all get stuck in our minds. And it doesn't have to be just the, the stuckness of everyday stuff, attachments, uh, emotional defilements, as the Buddhist would, would call it, anger, jealousy, lust, you know, all of that stuff. It's also um, very possible for, um, and I think a good example, and, you know, I'm sure I'll have some people pissed at me for this, but... It's okay. That's right. um, just people that are into the non-dual movement, you know, the way just using your intellect to go beyond your mm. to go beyond duality, which is a very difficult thing to do. Certainly in this age, they do say. Um, and I myself am very drawn to Buddhism, uh, Tibetan Buddhism. And most of the books I read are, are around emanating from different lamas and so on. I love His Holiness the Dalai Lama, particularly, of course. Um, and, and, you know, Ramdas and I actually have this dialogue where their interpretation of what reality is, the Tibetans, I think is the most scientific and the, and, and the most essence and the closest to to truth that I could ever read or hear about someone, you know, someone uh, describing. And then it's so easy to get trapped by that, by, oh, God, okay, that's the way it is, and I know that now. Mm. And then you get trapped in that, in that you're not then perhaps experiencing things through your heart, you know, your you're, it's like Jack Cornfield, by the way. Do you know who Jack Cornfield is? Uh, I know the name and I know vaguely, okay. but I don't know him very well. All right, well. everybody. All right, Alistair, I am absolutely uh, <laughs> asking you homework. Jack Cornfield. He's one of the three people who brought back uh, Theravadan uh, Vipassana meditation. Vipassana meditation, to me, and it's what I have been doing all these years, mm. is, is, is certainly one of the most efficacious practice, meditation practices. But Jack is an incredible being. You can go, and I'll give you, I'm giving myself another plug, mindpodnetwork.com. Mm. You will find the mind-rolling podcast that I do, but you'll find Jack Cornfield, you'll find Ramdas, you'll find Sharon Salzberg, you'll find Joseph Goldstein. But Jack particularly has a way of putting this stuff into context that is so relatable. Mm. So uh, Jack Hornfield for sure. Um, but so Ramdas just so be, it's easy to get caught in the crystalline clarity of some of the teachings, and uh, you know, and and I was mentioning Jack in that he would say you know, you can meditate from here to forever. And if you're not dealing with some of your psychological stuff, 
then ain't nothing going to happen. And so he, you know, he's saying, you know, so it's at, at, he, he's been a, a therapist himself. He was a psychologist himself. So, uh, so Ramdas thought that this came through him, that one way to switch your identification from, uh, from mind ego, right, and bring it into your heart center, soul again just into the center of your tra- into the feeling place mm. okay and that's when he he said this is a way repeat i am loving awareness i am loving awareness i am loving awareness and the, and that constant repetition of breathing as you say that in and out of the center of your chest suddenly you find that you're if you do it on a regular basis, your perspective shifts out of, of, of this identif- identification, which you've had your whole life with you as a personality, mm. with you as a judge, right? with you as a lover, with you as uh, on and on and on. So um, this uh, became his central teaching over the last five years. Mm. It's uh, it's it's so amazing. Again, just listening to you saying these words is making me feel so light. I'm, it's it's so kind of liberating of this kind of ego and um, and the, the these attachments that we have to, and you know, working in the film industry and and really basic because for me my work is is goes hand in hand with my life you know i or it has at least up to this point in time and it's been so um fundamental i think to kind of drive a wedge into that and go i don't need to identify with filmmaking just because it's difficult to have a to to make a living doing this it doesn't mean that every every breath that i take needs to be in service of this just this idea or this concept of of a, a job or an artistry or whatever it is actually what i am is loving awareness mm, exactly um and it's not easy you know no i mean <laughs> no it's not you know <laughs> and the reality is um it takes a lot of practice you know we can't forget that People ask, you know, we do a lot on mind rolling about this, you know, mm. how do we give you give uh, practical ideas about, okay, what do we do? What's the first step? One foot in front of the other. And it's any kind of practice. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be chanting, it can be, uh, you know, repeating mantras, it can be, you know, doing Zen meditation. It doesn't matter what it is, but what, whatever you do, then that starts to be the fulcrum to leverage out of this identification with you as uh, your work, as your husband, your husband, your wife, your child, your father, your mother, whatever whatever the role is, you, there needs to be a fulcrum to leverage you out of identification with that role. Mm. So the the way through that is is practice. Um, but it can't be I'm going to practice and I'm going <laughs> to fucking defeat this thing. You know, it yeah. can't be that grit your teeth kind of stuff. So there's a natural, uh, you know, there's a way the stream naturally goes through and flows through the rocks that are going to be there. You know, it's it can't be um, 
forcing yourself with a crowbar. Mm. It can't be that. And um, one uh, beautiful thing, my my one of my good friends, Krishnadas, says uh, has said before. Um, we had a one of our retreats, and we were talking about what grace is. You know, what is grace? Well, and he talked about this in terms of well, practice. Okay, so you practice, and and the practice here's becomes and there's a famous analogy uh, some hindu thing when you stand outside and it starts to rain when you cup your hands you catch that rain if you don't cup your hands you just get wet when you cup your hands you capture the grace hmm. and the cupping of the hands is the practice i think that's like the best possible analogy for the for the combination of you, 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 we do have to do something. There is something to do. Ultimately, and the non-duals would say, "Well, there's nothing to do. You just be," you know, which is a very difficult thing to be. I mean, I know, uh, you know, some Zen uh, abbots that I'm close to that I have this dialectic with all the time, and mm -hmm. I say to them, "Well, you're doing the Zen thing. Maybe you've done a billion more births than me." You know, I'll catch up to you. And they laugh at me, you know, because <laughs> I'm in the dual, you know, the bhakti tradition, right, which is subject object using the, the guru. Um, so I but I love this thing. Go out in the rain and catch catch it is is. But the putting the palms together is the doing something. Mm. Otherwise, you just get wet. And nothing happens, mm. you know. So practice is, is an important thing. But it's uh, but at the same time, knowing that it's a combination with grace okay everybody has some a guy god guru self is one is the big saying in india and everybody has that thing you know you don't need to necessarily need to have it physically manifested we were fortunate in india back in the day that that happened listen maharaji i mean you know tens of thousands of people now have come uh, to be connected with with this being in a blanket and all sorts of day-to-day -day happenings, either through dreams or visions or whatever, happen all the time to these people. Uh, without the, they don't need a physical body. I mean, that's just not a requirement for for a being of that nature. So, uh, but everybody has one, and they can call it a guide. They can call it an angel. They can call it, you know, anything. Um, but the trust, and that, that's probably my favorite word these days, is like. You know, I, you can tell me, I am positive, Alistair, that you've had some ineffable experience which led you to believe that you are not this body, you are not your work, you are not any of these things, that there's another, that you are loving awareness. And that one ineffable experience might have been for five seconds. It could have been through a psychedelic, it could be just meeting somebody, hearing Ramdas, whatever it might be. In that instance, that is real. You mm. have experienced that in your body. We have experienced that in our bodies. And therefore, we have, it's just trust. So once you have trust in that, then you, you can move forward. Just that trust leads to what, you know, in spiritual terms is called faith, right? Which is too religious a kind of term. I'd, I prefer trust because mm. we really can't. Once you start to trust that, then, you know, I'm sitting here talking to you, and you recognize what I'm saying in your own self, and then we have this trust. 
And then we get together with Pete Holmes, you know, yeah. and we have the same thing, which is what we, you know, which is why getting together with a group of people of that one mind is such an important thing. That's another, uh, when the, the Buddha, uh, the, the refuges are, uh, you take refuge in the Buddha, you take, take refuge in the Dharma, the wisdom, and in the Sangha, the community. And when the Buddha was asked, what's the most important? He said, Sangha. Okay, being with other people of that one mind is the most important thing. Mm. So, yeah, so mm. trust. And my next question was going to be, uh, when can you, me and Pete Holmes, do a three-way podcast? Oh, um, anytime. I'm sure Pete would be into it. <laughs> Absolutely. Just cross and, and all we, of the time zone channels. No, he'd be, uh, yeah, no, it'd be perfect. I mean, the timing right now is perfect. He's three hours behind me. Actually, he's going to be, uh, we have a re big retreat coming up. Uh, do you know Duncan Trussell, by the way? That name He's Pete's friend. very familiar. I think He's I... Pete's friend. He's been on Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, check Duncan out. Duncan is my good friend. He introduced me to Pete. Um, Duncan is incredible as well. And he's just like you. He found Ram Dass. He called me. Hey, why don't you do podcast? He's the one who got me into podcasts. He has got an extraordinarily popular podcast where he brings this kind of stuff up and a lot of other. He's a comedian in L.A., just like Pete. Mm. So they're going to both be at this retreat, and I'm going to do some podcasts with the two of them. So we'll, oh, wow. we'll share that. With you. Amazing. Yeah. I will be sure to keep my eyes peeled. Um, but going yeah. back to what you were saying, um, there's, there's a beautiful analogy that I heard recently, which is um, imagining the heart as like a flower and you can't force a flower to open you can just nourish it and let it kind of bloom and open on its own and this yeah. idea of um which ramdas talks about in experiments in truth this idea of giving up anger and how yeah. he was told to give up anger by maharaji but coming from a background in psychology, he was always of the belief that you don't give up anger, you have to work through it, you have to let it pass through, um, otherwise you're just sweeping it under the carpet. And then he's confronted with this idea of, well, no, actually, you can just give it up. Actually, what he was told was tell the truth. Love everyone and tell the truth. And that's what he, and he said, I can't do that. How the hell can I love everyone and tell the truth? It's not possible. And Maharaji looked at him and leaned in, love everyone and tell the truth. <laughs> and when he speaks of it now, he says, what I understand now is he was talking to true nature Ramdas, not personality Ramdas. Personality Ramdas cannot love everyone and tell the truth. True nature Ramdas. Actually, he's never used that term, but I, I, th I think it's a good way to explain what he was talking about. Mm. True nature, Ramdas, can love everyone and tell the truth. And now, Ramdas has gotten to that point, a, a shitload of suffering later. I mean, folks, it is true, suffering does bring you closer. It's mm. unfortunate, and we do need to go through it. And, the, and, and that's one of Ramdas' uh, Ram uh, core teachings now. Um, because he's gone through so much of it, and he's come out the other end. I mean, I can't tell you. I mean, I personally know him so well, and, and uh, I'm amazed that through all this physical horror that he goes through on a day-to-day, -day, I mean, that's dramatic, but many days they aren't <laughs> yeah. so good. Okay, it really isn't. Mm. 
that he's not attached to his body. And does he still get angry? Yeah, he'll admit that. And but is it last? Is he reacting to it and going, "Oh shit, I'm an ass," or, or is he taking? You know, you know how when you get angry, you kind of if you get really angry, mm. you take everything you're angry about and dump it into that one thing, right? Yep. So it's way beyond that one thing, whatever it was. You know, if your girlfriend pisses you off, and then you know you're dumping what your boss did to you that day into that thing and telling your girl girlfriend off. Mm. Okay. What happens is eventually it stops because the witness automatically comes up, ah, anger. And you're not pursuing either reacting, uh, you know, as if you're the worst person who ever lived for being angry or furthering the anger by including every other thing that you're angry at. There's a, there's a stop. Mm. It absolutely stops. Now that takes years and years of practice of developing of I am loving awareness and developing the witness from that no mind place mm. pure mind not from thinking I am loving awareness it cannot be that that's why it takes a meditative practice where you're actually sitting for at least 20 minutes in the morning I mean that's bottom line necessary I mean if it's not sitting it's chanting it's it's doing a mantra whatever the hell anybody wants to do it doesn't matter so uh, what Ramdas totally understood was that Maharaji was speaking to that place that wasn't his ego mind identification, and that's a whole other perspective. Mm. Yeah, it's it's uh, it really is just removing the attachment to anger as being part of your identity, isn't it? Yeah, and and the yeah. kind of and, yep. I was just going to say, and the kind of um the the ego loves to attach to that drama that you can create uh in that reactionary state yeah exactly and and we get used to it when you don't have that emotional volatility you know you you feel like you're bored or something you know that's another thing <laughs> for all of us to deal with is boredom you know mm. i mean that's that's why people go you know, like we did a meditation course on ramdas.org um offered mindfulness and meditation and people go, shit, I get bored. It's so boring. I don't know. I can't do this. I go, uh, well, it, it isn't working until you do get bored. Mm. Then it's starting to work. Okay. If you're feeling elation or feeling high or anything, that's bullshit. You need to get bored. You need to really deal with allowing the stuff to, to purge, mm. you know, by virtue of, of, of just sitting there and not attaching yourself to any emotional quality or not, you know, or thoughts or whatever it is. Again, mm. practice, you know, that's, um, and, and we can't force ourselves to uh, stop being angry, as you were saying before. It's not a matter of that. It's, it's a gradual bit by bit, inevitably, we start to uh, take ourselves less seriously. Mm. That's probably the biggest thing I could say, but if someone says, well, you've been doing this for all this time, I just don't take myself as seriously. I am not, you know, so I'm less react, way less reactive to my own bullshit than I was before. <laughs> and that less reactive means less uh, focus. I'm stopped thinking about myself. I just recently, and I'll say this is, you know, when I was in India, I was fortunate enough to meet uh, somebody I'd never met before, uh, this, this yogi, in the middle of a jungle, in the middle of India. I mean, it was an extraordinary experience. Mm. 
And he was a very advanced being. I mean, you know, I've met a lot of very, you know, Maharaji being the most advanced. And, um, and he certainly uh, was out there, you know, meditating in caves without food for months, uh, in rivers in the middle of the winter, 12 wow. hours submerged, you know, heavy duty yogi stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, and he was the sweetest, most fun yogi I ever met. But um, uh, I don't even count Maharaji because he was beyond duality. Um, I, do, I wouldn't know about this particular being. But somebody said to me, well, so you were there for a few days. What did you feel? I said, well, one of the main things that I could tell you was I didn't think about myself for three days. <laughs> okay, what a joy that was. Yeah. That was great. I was just happy. And so there is that possibility that that can be a state. I mean, I literally was in it for three days. I was not thinking about myself. You know how we wake up, uh, again, Krishnadas, my friend, calls it the movie of me. Mm. You wake up in the morning, I got to get brush my teeth, take a pee. I got to have a coffee. I'm going to have to go to work. Oh, God, my wife, I got to tell her that me, I, me, mine, the Beatles, right? Mm. All the day. I mean mine, I mean mine, I mean mine. What a relief to not have that going on. Even for me, it was like three days. Now, um, it's possible. In other words, it is possible. And there are still beings. Like, um, I did a podcast about this. It's on Mind Rolling. It's called Jungle Safari, if people want to go hear about that experience. But one of the fun things in it was my friend who I took there, young guy, uh, a millennial guy, and uh, he, sa he said, I compare this, I would say about this, I compare it to The Big Lebowski. You know The Big Lebowski? <laughs> oh, yeah. My favorite movie, Love a lot movie. of us' favorite movie, yeah. So the cowboy at the end says, I don't know about you, but it sure is uh, soothing to me that, that there's somebody out there, that the dude is out there doing this thing for all us sinners. <laughs> So there's still people out there doing the thing, okay? Yeah. You know, and they're, they're not easy to meet. I was fortunate to meet one, but yeah. So we can relax, and we can be in that. We can get happy. We can be happy. Mm. And it is really everything, you know, that we're moving towards is this kind of return to this state of being unconditional. Exactly. And exactly. I guess like a piano player would practice for their concert um, we're practicing for this return to this that state yeah. so that yeah. we have the tools to deal with in in our everyday kind of existence that's so driven by past and future uh, identifications we're practicing to release ourselves of, of those kind of shackles yeah and it's not, it's not like, okay, I'm going to practice for 30 years and then it'll happen. Mm. It's like you practice day to day and it ha it's a day, it's a day to day thing that's happening. It's active. It's not something that you have to wait for. Although of course you, you know, it's not like you can expect to be, okay, I'm going to be enlightened tomorrow because I'm going to meditate for three hours a day. That's not going to happen. But at the same time, it's active. You know, it carries over when you do some kind of practice in the morning, it gives you some, um, relation to a perspective the whole day so that's helpful i mean it absolutely is everything that you you think of you know i mean i have a desk here and i have great beings maharaji and other beings 
you know, I look, I'm looking up at one of them right now and going, yeah, okay, that's a reminder. So you keep these little reminders going all day, mm. you know, during, I mean, I, am, I have very fortunate work. Everything I'm doing is centered around this kind of stuff because of the foundation work I do and the podcasting and all of it. Uh, but yeah, you can design your life so that you have way more reminders and way more uh, of a substantial uh, connection to your true self by virtue of a, a practice that you start your day out with. That, that's extraordinarily helpful. Mm. One of the questions, there's a, there's a couple of um, standard questions that I like to ask everyone, and I'm, it's not quite uh, applicable in the same way to you. The question is, um, when was the first time you remember entertaining anyone? Now, this question is more applicable to people who are performers and directors, but I guess the core of it is, when was the first time that you can remember doing this thing that you have now gone on to do for the rest of your life? When I was on the radio station, because, the, you know, there, there's an entertaining thing going on there, if, if you're relating it to that. Obviously, mm. I was a broadcaster. Uh, and in fact, uh, one day, uh, Maharaji said to me, the way he used to talk with us was he'd ask questions, right? Uh, this, this would be the most rational that he'd get. What did you do in Canada before you came to India? What was your job? So I'm trying to think, okay, I was a program director of a rock and roll radio station. How the hell am I going to say that so the translator is going to translate this into it was Hindi? <laughs> and before I could say a word in English, he went, broadcaster. So not only it was obviously, yes, that's he knew what I did because he knew everything, but it was also that was going to be my life's work. I have been broadcasting this stuff from that day that mm -hmm. I met Ron to this day that I'm talking to you. I have been doing this, you know. And so, yeah, back in that day um, when I after I met Ram Das. I mean, at first I was a DJ. Well, I wasn't a DJ. I was doing kind of special programming because I was the program director. I didn't have a regular slot. Uh, but after I met Ramdas twice a week or something, all I was doing was spreading consciousness and uh, talking about my own experience. And I was doing what I what we had been doing for the last hour. Mm. That's 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 exactly how it, it, it happened for me, and I've been doing it ever since with a record company that I had for 20 years, now with this foundation, now with podcasts. Yeah, so, mm. yeah, I, I guess I am a broadcaster. It's mm. quite remarkable. I feel very, yeah. um, I feel very humbled um, to be sitting here and talking with you, actually. It's very, I'm feeling a lot of gratitude uh, right now, so thank you for doing this. No, absolutely. What's uh, we've we've spoken a lot about Ramdas and uh, and his kind of faith and and I guess well the the idea of trust and you know moving through this practice as uh, and this return to love as being kind of the meaning of why we're here. How does that mm -hmm. resonate for you personally? What what's your um, what's your kind of uh, vantage point on those? sort of topics of, of faith and, and why we're here? Uh, I would say, actually, in this podcast about this uh, jungle baba that I met, um, one of the things we talked about was, okay, this is great to have this experience. How wonderful, exotic, bumping into pythons and cobras all around this jungle, 
you know, somebody who is like from a Rudyard Kipling storybook, you know, jungle book, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. just it's incredible. And then but you go home to be returned to schmuck hood. I mean, <laughs> what is that going to do, you know? Sounds like a good so, Adam Sandler movie. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly that. Exactly that. So it's got to have a component of this is only valuable if we are. And I mean, His Holiness the Dalai Lama says it best. My, my only religion is kindness. Mm. If we aren't going to be kinder, more compassionate, more loving to everybody we meet on a day-to-day basis to affect this world to be a better place, then, then it means absolutely nothing. It's just personal aggrandizement. Nothing. You're just collector of experiences, you know. And I, I said it in this podcast that I did. You know, that's certainly a fear. I've had a lot of great experiences, you know. And I feel like, fortunately, I have made enough changes so that um, I, I hopefully am of some use to whoever I meet on a day-to-day basis. And and it's not about my personality. It's not about my self-interest. I mean, self-interest to me. The eradication of self-interest, to me, is the most crucial part of all of this, and mm. it can only happen through development of compassion. You know, and first compassion with yourself, with all your bullshit, and then with everybody you meet. So yeah, it's a return, a return to love, kindness, compassion. Period. Mm. Sorry, I'm just letting that wash over me. Um, you're certainly adding value to uh to to me in this moment so um I, yeah me too it's uh quite tremendous um and i'm i'm reminded of this uh an, another thing from experiments with truth if you haven't cottoned on it's been quite profound for me to discover um this idea of the different kind of uh planes of existence i don't know for me i kind of feel like i I move up and down constantly. It's it's never all left and right, however you want to look at it. Well, would you mind explaining to, to my listeners this this concept of the different sort of planes of existence? Hmm. Listen to experiments in truth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I'm not so interested in, you know, play, obviously there are many different planes of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Okay. There, there's the temporal plane of consciousness by which we mostly live in and relate to by virtue of relating as egos. Then there's the spiritual plane of consciousness, you know, the heart plane of consciousness by which we're connecting as souls. Then there are other planes of consciousness where beings like Maharaji uh, live in that are living simultaneously on, on uh, planes of consciousness where they're is absolutely no subject object. I mean, there are many, many planes of consciousness. There's planes of consciousness where angels live. There's planes of consciousness where where demons live. I mean, if you read the Tibetan Book of the Dead, there are all these bardos, which you're going through planes of consciousness, you know. Mm. And it's fun stuff to read, but I'm not... Again, now Ram Dass, you know, is really good at elucidating all that stuff, and 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 he can certainly bring it into a, a focus which is valuable in terms of helping us transform. Um, these days, you know, I, I'm mostly interested in in just developing uh, 
the heart mm. and understanding how to be more vulnerable and less fearful and less, as I said, with less self-interest and 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 uh, developing compassion and kind and, and and being able to use that witness from not the mental place but from the heart-centered I am loving awareness place and the more that that happens the more I can burn off the anger you know the frustrations you know the uh, the uh, feeling you know you, you know this unworthiness whatever all of the stuff that we carry with us day to day uh, if you can witness it from that place and and cut it at its root, uh, then there will be fantastic changes that will happen in your day to day life. So, I'm less interested in you know in in and in intellectual understandings of different planes of consciousness and so on. I mean, mm. like I said, you know, definitely if you're interested, listen to Ram Dass elucidate about that. You know, it's 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 it can be valuable. It was to you. Mm. Um, but probably the more of the practical stuff he said in there about being honest with yourself and an identity and who you are. I mean, that was probably even more valuable. Mm. Yeah, no, certainly. And even as I'm listening to you talking about this net, then I'm kind of dropping into finding that I've, that I'm identifying with the concept as opposed to taking in the, um, mm. the core of the teachings and you know then listening to you i'm kind of i am going into that separation where i'm feeling what's the what's the actual truth behind the concept for me right um, yeah exactly yep um so tell me a little bit just before we we wrap up about the um the love serve remember foundation well, it's uh, the primary mission is dedicated to the preservation and continuation of the teachings of Neem Karoli Baba and Ram Das, and all of the te all of the people and various teachers that were there in India at that time, like Krishna Das, uh, and and many others. Um, and to that end, we have Ramdas.org is the vehicle. For the for the uh, that carries the platforms, and we have smartphone apps and uh, films and uh, webinars and meditation courses, uh, podcast channels. I mean, there's uh, we're trying to create as many different platforms as uh, people demand now to mm -hmm. be able to get their information, and we've been very fortunate. I mean, it's a very large community at this point. I mean, our between Facebook and Twitter, we're well over half a million people at this point. Wow. Um, and the website gets hundreds of thousands of uh, visitors every month and, mm. you know, large mailing lists, all of that stuff. Um, so we have a wonderful community. And uh, that community helps to support the foundation so that we don't have to charge. People can stream this stuff for free. So, so that Ramdas's whole thing is that kind of sharing. That's what he brought back from, you know, that's who he is. And, uh, you know, sharing from the heart. That doesn't mean we don't need funds. We do need funds in order for this to happen. And people have been very generous to allow this to happen. So that these, uh, you know, it's, it's about moving this forward to people who are just coming up and they can get what we got. I mean, we, we get people who are discovering be here now 
you know, I, mean, I get letters. I'm 17, 18, 20, 22. I'm in college or just finishing high school. I discovered Be Here Now. It changed my life. You know, and then they discover Ramdas.org and, and the books that, you know, this book I'm talking about, Love Everyone, that's coming out. And, and so Love, Serve, Remember is Maharaji's core teaching without teaching. Love everyone, serve everyone, and remember God. I mean, that's, uh, you know, it's as simple and direct, and that's what people used to say. How do I raise Kundalini Maharaji? You know, they wanted to get into these exalted states, you know, get Shakti energy going from the bottom of their spine to the top of their head, and they can go into trances and so on. You know what he said? Feed people. Love people. Tell the truth. Okay? In other words, forget this bullshit. Mm. Of of forcing this energy and all that, you know, let 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 God take care of it. Now, of course, when I say it, I'm not living it. When he said said it, it was so profound. So it's a little less profound when I say it. But <laughs> but really, that you know, but that's what what it's about. You know, it's 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 Ramdas when he first came back from India. Is just his. I mean, Maharaji told him, "Don't tell anybody about me." Okay. That's all he did. He couldn't stop himself. Hmm. He could not stop that sharing. It was beyond his mental capability of curtailing it. He had to do it. He was, it was an impulse he could not stop. And that's what the foundation is carrying forward, that impulse to share. I mean, and that means the most to me, to him, and everybody else involved. Um, so that's really what the foundation represents. And Go to ramdas.org and you can take advantage, everybody, mm. of all of it. You know, it's a vast media library. Experiments in Truth is the tip of the iceberg there. Um, there is so it's much incredible. Uh, yeah, material. There's podcasts. There's these. Uh, what I would highly recommend is uh, these film series that we, this film series that we've done. It's called Cultivating Series. Cultivating Loving Awareness is the first place I would go if you want to get a handle on getting yourself re-identified out of your mind ego look at this film it includes krishnadas sharon salzberg ramdas me other people that is where to start and then there's some other wonderful films you can find there as well mm. um just before i get to the last question there was uh, something you said in there which was uh, talking about maharaji um referring to god i'm curious um about what your idea of God is, because I don't think it's... Um, I've come from a background, I was brought up Jewish, but I don't really identify at all with the religious aspects of Judaism, the, the traditional aspects of it, certainly, and the, the familial kind of getting together for dinners and whatnot. Um, but I've re really been curious of this idea of what is God and talking to a lot of different people, the kind of overarching idea or... or feeling is that god is just another word for love and this loving energy that kind of binds and connects everyone i, I buy that mm. i like it <laughs> <laughs> i can't improve on that one cool uh, i mean maharaji's big thing to us he'd, he'd look at us and he'd go like this sub ek it's all one christ hanuman krishna all of it one there's only one and that's what there, there there's nothing else that makes any sense to me there is just that one we call it by many names god 
Buddha mind, Zen mind, whatever. You know, we, we have so many different uh, ways of describing that thing. And it doesn't mean anything because it's not describable. But the best one is that what is, is, your, is your definition right there? An unconditional love that is exchanged by everybody and connects us all into this one heart. That's, that's the best I could think of mm. to describe it. Fantastic. This has been truly amazing for me. So thank you. Thank you so thank much you. For, uh, for being on my podcast. There's one question that I ask everyone right at the end, um, and that is, what makes you silly? Hmm. There's more than one thing, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me all the uh, things. I, I sometimes feel silly in this whole thing about broadcasting all this stuff out there. Uh, just like getting identified with the broadcasting makes me feel silly. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Silly by being thinking that I'm doing anything. Mm. So that would be a silliness on a spiritual level, right? Mm. Uh, otherwise, um, I like to play p- practical jokes on people. <laughs> that makes <laughs> me silly. Okay, where I say I can be very serious and say things in a very serious manner, and people Deadpan. believe me. Mm. Yeah, and then they, I go, "What? Are you crazy? I don't mean that, <laughs> you know." And they've completely bought it. I love to have people just do that. So that's a silly thing. I'll have to challenge well, you to a deadpan off uh, if we yeah. ever meet. <laughs> okay. Because I get into a lot well, of trouble when people think I'm being serious, and I am taking. I don't know if you're familiar with this term, taking the piss. Um, it's a very Australian kind of term for um, making fun or like uh, making a joke. What's it called? Taking the what? Taking the piss. Pierce. Piss. Taking like the... uh, like when you oh, like taking the piss. Oh, yeah. taking the piss at somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I use that now for uh, yes. No, we're very similar. Then we must be in that way because I can be completely look serious and and be shit. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> And I guess I'm also doing the broadcasting thing by uh, taking your message to my people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're in the same boat. It's all the same boat. Great to meet you, Alistair. Lovely to meet you. Thank you so much. Please keep in touch and uh, hopefully you will get you come over to Maui one of these uh, days. Look up in Rome.org and come come next spring. We have a retreat in May. Oh, fantastic. I will definitely look into that. And I will will hold you to the, um, the Pete Holmes podcast. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you I'll very talk much. to Pete. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Have a beautiful weekend. Namaste. Oh, wow. What an interview. Um, I hope wherever you were listening, friends, uh, if you were listening on a, a train or a bus or in your car or walking down the street or lifting something heavy at the gym, I hope that you, um, I hope that you feel as, as, uh, as grounded and light as, uh, as I did, um, and I do, after having done that interview. And to share a little secret with you, on my list of dream people to interview was Ram Dass. And I think having um, shared that space and, and been able to chat to Raghu Marcus, I feel like I can come pretty close to ticking that one off the list. So thank you, Raghu Marcus. I, um, yeah, just have a lot of gratitude for that and stay tuned to see if we can get Pete Holmes 
to come and do a little ramble with the Ramble Roustabout. And if you'd like to check out anything else from this podcast, you can jump on rumdas.org, which is R-A-M-D-A-S-S.org. Go on iTunes, find the Mind Rolling Podcast. That's the one I listen to that is hosted by Raghu Marcus. And they have a whole network called the MindPod Network of podcasts with all the different people um, that Raghu Marcus mentioned. And trust me when I tell you, friends, that there will be something for everyone there if this is your cup o tea. Don't forget, you can find us at Podcast on Twitter and facebook.com slash Podcast. And coming up next, my friends of the coming up next work, we are going to stick with the international flavor. I'm going to jump on Skype to speak with a friend of mine, a man who I've known for actually more than half my life. You may know him as Abe Sapien from Hellboy. You may also know him as the Fawn and the Pale Man in Pan's Labyrinth. You may know him as the Silver Surfer from the Fantastic Four film, Rise of the Silver Surfer. You may even know him as the Crescent Moon Man, Mac Tonight, from the McDonald's commercials from the 80s. Coming up next, and boy, am I just over the moon to be bringing you an interview with this man, Doug Jones. Please join me next week, my friends, for Coming Up Next Tuesdays. I'll see you then.